Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is a... Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. Uh, The last one we did was video, and we're going to be doing some more video and uploading some more stuff on YouTube. Uh, That was more of an experimental uh, move there, and but uh, got very, very good positive reviews. So we will be going, we're still going to do this going to still do the audio on all the other platforms, uh, but we're going to add now YouTube to the platform. And some of that will be audio only, and some will be video when we have an opportunity. Mainly probably uh, when I do interviews, I'll probably have that as video. Anything else would just me yapping. will probably just be audio. Well, today you just get audio because it's just me yapping. Uh, as said, we're going to continue on in our study in the book of Hebrews. Now, this is not exhaustive. I can't say every single thing that's in here. We'd be here forever because there's a lot of, of uh, really great stuff in here. But uh, this is going to be a uh, this chapters 5 and 6 today. And then next podcast, we'll be doing a uh, teaching on covenants, the eight covenants. The reason why I do that because a lot of times when you go through certain books of the Bible, in order to give clarity, you have to stop and pause on certain topics. And I think this is one of those times. I need to pause and, and delve into this thing of covenants so we can get a better understanding, a fuller, what I'm hoping we get a richer and a fuller understanding of the depth of what Christ has done. Never let anybody tell you that there's a conflict between theology and practicality. Your theology a.k.a. your worldview, will shape your behavior. Now, if your theology is not shaping your behavior, then you have to ask yourself a question, do I even believe this? Because somehow people try to devoid, well, I know what it says here, but practically I need to do this over here. That's not how that works. What the Bible teaches theologically must now then be worked out practically in your life. And And it's not impossible. It can be done. Uh, not an impossibility. All right, let's go on here. Chapter 5 of Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. The, the purpose of the high priest is to uh, act on behalf of humanity or the people who's, who he's uh, been selected to serve. Now, there's an element in here, and... Um, I'm going to sidebar on this a little bit, a little, a little bit later. 
that the high priests are chosen to serve men. In what way do they serve men? Well, they do teaching and, and uh, the laws of God. But the main purpose of the priest is to make atonement for sin, to intercede on, on behalf of the people, to keep the wrath of God from coming down on sinful man. That's what it is. And there's an element of atonement in intercession. When, when you look anywhere in the Bible, practically speaking, when there's intercession going on, it has to do, it's almost always related to stopping God from killing people. And one of the ways that God does, there's two ways that God does that. One is by atonement. The intercessor can then be make an atonement for the people as prescribed by God, as you'll see in the Levitical priesthood. And then the other way is by covenant. So let's look at this, and that's why we're going to look at covenants. It all ties into intercession. And I say that to, because today people's, you know, I wish before we start saying things in the church that or start parroting what we hear somebody else say, I really wish that we would take the time to do a little bit further investigation. Because intercession is not, you know, people say, oh, I'm an intercessor. Where are my intercessors at? Well, first of all, the intercessors were priests, primarily. Um, but could anybody do intercession? In some instances, yeah. But let's 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 review here a minute from the Old Testament. They were priests. Yeah, you had some prophets doing some intercession as well. Um, but the the prophets intercede. Their intercession was to stay the hand of God was based on covenants, and but the priest was based on sacrifice. All right. This whole thing of salvation is being saved from the wrath of God. I don't know why people are afraid to say that. The whole world's under the wrath of God, and something has to be done. Uh, and Isaiah, God said, I sought for a man among them to stand in the hedge and make up the gap uh, so that it wouldn't bring the sword upon the land, and I found none. Now, there's more to that verse. I'm going to get back to that later. But look, saints. So God calls the priests as intercessors. So if you're an intercessor, I, my question to you is, how are you atoning for the people that you're interceding for, inter interceding for? In what way are you doing this? And what's your basis of keeping the wrath of God from hitting these people? That's number one. Number two, what's to keep the, what are you doing to keep the wrath of God from hitting you since you're also a sinner, just like everybody else? On what basis are you pleading for, for the lives of these people? Well, let's look at what the Levitical priesthood did. And yes, and here's, here's another thing too. All, all, the entire church should be intercessors in the sense that we're, we're a kingdom of priests. But we'll get to that last, and, and I'll, we'll flesh that out a little later. But let's look at some of the dilemma here. So, is appointed to act on behalf of men, chapter 5, verse 1, in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is best 
is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Okay, so first characteristic is that the high priest or the priests have to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. This keeps God from killing folk. Okay, when the, the, the priest would make sacrifice in the temple, he'd come out and say, Telostai, meaning it is finished. The sacrifice is complete, which is what Christ did on the cross. That's number one. And it's a cool thing in the sense that the priests that are making these sacrifices, they themselves be, have to make sacrifice for themselves um, because they're sinners as well. So they got to do double duty. They got, first, they got to do it for themselves so God doesn't kill them. And then once they're set, once they're set up, then they can do it for the people. This kind of reminds you when you're on the plane and they tell you to put the mask on yourself first and then put the mask on the children afterwards. Because if you put the mask on the child and then you pass out, well, what's the child going to do then, right? Yeah, the child has a mask on, but you're not, you're out cold. And God forbid something else happens and you need to tend to the child, you're unconscious. And the child's left to his own devices. Which makes a hardship on the crew because now they have to step up. Instead of doing their job, they have to also watch your child because you're unconscious. <laughs> so you take care of yourself first. Make sure you're good. And then once you're good, you can step up and take care of others. Okay, so let's keep that let's keep that, that context in mind. And no one takes this honor for himself. Oh, wait, you can't just jump up and say, I'm a priest. You can't take it for yourself. You have to be called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so this is why I don't believe there's, there's such in such a thing. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. But this is uh, to create conversations. That's why I don't I don't subscribe to our the way we take ten people and say these are the intercessors here in the church. What we're really saying these are the people in here we can count on to pray. Well, at least we know these ten people will. Technically speaking, the entire church should be praying. There's no reason for the entire church not to be interceding on behalf of anything, and unless people just uh, and if we're not, it's just plain lazy. That, that's all it is. It comes down to. But in this context, got to be called of God. All right. And it, why does it say that? Because they're trying to show that Christ in the same way. So, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today have I begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you got two priesthoods. One is the Levitical priesthood, Aaron's priesthood, which would make sacrifice for the people. But now Christ is from the tribe of Judah, so he can't qualify for Levitical priesthood. But what does God do? He said, God says, no problem. I'll make him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, who is Melchizedek? Don't know. He's a mysterious guy. He pops in and he pops out. That's all I can tell you. Uh, when the Bible speaks, I speak. When the Bible is silent, I'm silent. So that's all I can tell you. Uh, now, it's, it's okay to speculate and debate. That's fine. But at the end of the day, if we're all telling the truth, none of us knows. So uh, Christ is called, and he, but he's a priest, but he's not a, a, after the Levitical priesthood. And by the way, the Levitical priesthood is done. It was temporary. 
once Christ came and made the sacrifice, then there is no longer a need for a Levitical priesthood. Don't need them. Yes, when when the nation of Israel returns to to the temple in all her former glory, will there be Levites? Yeah, but that's because they haven't yet moved on like we have past that. So God's going to restart it only in that particular context, leading into the tribulation, etc., to get them to where we are right now, to Christ. Um, okay, so that's how that's going to happen. But pretty much outside of that, Levitical priesthood is done. Stop going into the Old Testament and trying to get principles for for, 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 for Christian living and stuff from the Levitical priesthood. Because you have a better one now. And this one is, it can involve everybody. We don't have to be descendants of Aaron. And by the way, you can't use those principles because you're not called to them. That's not what God has called us to. And that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. He's writing to the Jewish believers and he's telling them, let's move on. Think about this for a minute, saints. Think about it. 70 AD, the the Roman emperor the Roman army sacks Jerusalem and, and and destroys the temple, as Jesus predicted in Matthew uh, 24 and 23. Okay. Now, that means nothing to us because we're not Jewish. So, like, okay, the temple's gone. Listen to me. That was the very center and hub of the Jewish existence. It was their crowning achievement. It was their pride and joy. It was the it thing in Israel, was that temple. Their very existence was tied. Their very reason for existing was tied to that temple. But because the thing had become so corrupt, the people on the temple on earth was not doing what was being, which although it was a replica of the temple in heaven, God's will was not being done on earth as it was in heaven, in that temple. There was a lot of corruption there, but that's another podcast. We'll get to that another time. All right, so here's what happens. So if the temple is destroyed, whether it was, I don't know, I I don't have anything in front of me saying as, as to whether or not when Hebrews was written, was the temple destroyed or not. In either case, if it wasn't destroyed, he's telling them, listen, the veil was rent from top to bottom. God's not in there anymore. He's left it. He's abandoned it. Why are you still hanging it, still making a fuss over the the, the temple? Let's move on here. Because it didn't work for us. God has given us a new and a living and a better way. Okay. In addition to that, in addition to that, if it was after the temple was destroyed, then that's all the more reason to move on because we can't go back to it. It's gone. It ain't there, and it's not coming back, not in our lifetime or for many lifetimes. It's not returning. Will there be a temple rebuilt? I believe there will be, but just not today. In the meantime, what do you do, right? Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. Uh, So that's why God says, let's move on. Because Christ has now come, and we don't need the temple anymore. We, this is something we just don't need in this time period in which we're living in. Yes, I know the Jew Jerusalem will come down, the temple will be there and all that. Well, when, well, until that gets here, we don't need that. 
We're looking for the new Jerusalem that comes down, the, the one that's pure, the, the real one that can't be corrupted. That one, that, that thing that was in Israel there, that, that got corrupted, sad to say. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Okay, in the days of his flesh, in his humanity, we're talking about Christ in his humanity, not in his deeds. He's both God and man at the same time. He walked and he chewed gum at the same time. But let's talk about his humanity. In his humanity, he offered up prayers. He was an intercessor, see? An intercessor, you offer up prayers. And supplications. Supplications means that you pray something all the way through. So I might be asking God for a car, and I said, Lord, I need some money to buy a car. And I may pray once or twice on occasion, and more of a reminder than anything else, and leave it at that. But supplication is when I pray something all the way through. I'm praying for something, and I'm not going to stop praying for it until there's a yes, no, or leave it alone or whatever God tells me or whatever I see happening uh, one way or the other. Cause sometimes every answer to prayer isn't the one is, when we think of an answer to prayer, we think it, it, we get an outcome that we wanted, but an answer to prayer is it can sometimes be, you don't get the outcome you wanted. God allowed something else to happen or the thing you didn't want to happen happened anyway. Then you got to trust, trust God's wisdom at that point. Uh, you see that with King David, how he, he he fasted and prayed for the child. That's supplication. He prayed until the decision was made. And, well, the decision had already been made, but he prayed because he thought maybe, maybe God will have mercy. Well, the child died. So once his supplication was over and he prayed it all the way to the end, God said, nope, not changing my mind. Child has to go. All right. David gets up, washes himself, and then he goes on about his business. Supplication is over. That's what it means to supplicate. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries. Look how he did. He did with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So God the Father was able to save Jesus the man from death. And he did that. Yes, Christ went and died, but he also resurrected, saved from death. And in fact, God says, I will not allow my Holy One to see corruption. So before any real decomposition occurred on the body even, the third day God got him up. And he was heard because of his reverence, because Christ is the only person who can do a work that, that God will respond to. Our works God doesn't respond to because they're tainted. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Now, let me qualify. When I said he learned obedience, it wasn't like Christ was disobedient and then he had to... All right, you messed up that time. You weren't obedient, or you didn't get it right this time. But I'll go back and learn it again, try it again, until finally, like two, three times, and he learns, okay, I got it right now. I figured out how to do this. That's not what that means. When it said he learned obedience, that means that he matured. That through obeying his father, he was able to mature through his obedience. That's what it means. How do I know? You go back to Luke's gospel when he was... Uh, on the caravan, and his he was out there with Mary, and they were looking for him, and he said, don't you know that I should be about my father's business? And then he said he went back and was subject to them, and then it says that Jesus grew, grew four ways. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. In other words, he matured. He matured mentally. He matured physically. 
He matured in favor with God spiritually and in favor with man naturally. So that's what it's referring to when it says he learned obedience. It wasn't like he had to be, like he had to, uh, uh, how should I say, you know, he, he, he sinned or he messed up and now he had to learn. That's not what that means. It means he matured. His obedience, because he was 100% perfectly obedient to his father, he learned. In other words, he grew. He matured. Okay? Remember Christ came here as a baby. Well, he can't stay a baby forever. He has to become a toddler. Well, he can't be a toddler forever. He has to become a child. And that, when after he becomes a child, then he has to go to the, to the tweens and then the teenager and so on. Young adult, young man, da-da-da-da. Okay? That's all that's referring to. His growth, and, and, but his growth was, his obedience was perfect. And his and it caused and his obedience caused him to mature. To learn means to mature, to grow, maturation. Okay, that's all that simply is referring to. It has nothing to do with sin or anything else like that. Um, so let's just keep that keep that in mind that he learned uh, through his obedience. Okay, and which through what he suffered. So here it is. He learned, let's read it again. He learned obedience through what he suffered. So he matured through what he suffered, right? So here it is. He's obedient, even in the midst of suffering, and it matures him. Suffering plus obedience leads to maturation. Obedience, suffering, maturation. Obedience, suffering, maturation. You grow. That's all that means. Okay. And being made perfect. Again, that word perfect does not now mean he at some point he wasn't perfect. This is the God man. Christ had lived a perfect sinless life. He he made he made no mistakes. So what does that mean? Being made perfect. By being made perfect, again, use the word, substitute the word for perfect, maturation. Being made mature. You can take out that word perfect, stick in mature. He became mature. And as he matured, that maturity, once he reached that maturation point, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Christ is the source. Christ is the source of eternal salvation. To all of us who obey him, he's our source. Being designated by God. Remember now, he didn't take this upon himself. He's being designated by God, a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, having said, set up Christ as our example, the writer of Hebrews then launches into this. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. And that's true, because... The proof of it is that we've been debating whether this means you can lose your salvation or does it mean something else. So it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And that's probably why we debate this thing, because I'm dull of hearing and so are you. (laughs) All right, let's go on here. Um, But no, when, when you don't respond to truth, remember I said the danger of rejecting truth. If you don't respond to truth, you become dull of hearing. But if you want to have discernment, you have to obey the truth that you do have, the little bit of light that you do have. Because obedience proceeds illumination. God will illuminate his word to you uh, more and more as we obey it. 
right? And you obey what you understand. And if we don't get it right, God's not going to get you. Uh, but he'll help to rectify that. You'll read it again and he'll help you keep reading it until we get it right. But it's when we become arrogant and think we know everything. And then, you know, we end up reading it wrong forever. And I've changed my views on a lot of things because as I kept reading and reading, God kept correcting me. And he still is because I don't know everything. And neither do you. Verse 12, for though, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. And that's where you want to get. You want to come to maturity. And what he's he's asking us is to move from, from the Levites to Melchizedek, from Moses to Christ, to move from, uh, you know, dealing with the smaller things and, and dealing with the things that are more important, dealing with the law and the old covenant to dealing with the new covenant. So there's a contrast here. There was this, but now there's this. There was this, but now there's this. And this is important for the Hebrew people because, again, they've been doing these things their entire life, and and and, and it hasn't been helping them. And now God has said, okay, everything that you were doing has now been found in Christ, and so you don't need to do those things anymore. Here's what you need to be doing. But a lot of them were still struggling. You know, what about circumcision? What about... um you know, what What about um, keeping the law and the Sabbath and everything else? And so the book of Hebrews is kind of written to those individuals to say, to get them out of that mindset and to get them to see Christ in his fullness. Like Book of Romans is written for Gentiles, Hebrews is written for the Hebrew people. But again, we, we're going to learn from this as well, because some of us are stuck on the Levitical priesthoods. A lot of churches... They preach that law, man. They're hot, they're hot and heavy on it, and and um, but not enough of grace and not understanding the relation between the, uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Oh, two different dynamics going on here. Um, my former church was very legalistic like that, you know, and you were always losing your salvation every week as soon as you sin. And for me, as a teenage boy at that age, I was losing my my salvation every bite a second. Okay, so listen. Uh, but once I matured and I grew, I, I kind of got out of that because I started to understand some things. But that's another day for another testimony. Okay, so you want to have discernment. One of the evidences of being mature is have, possessing discernment between good and evil. And young people... Um, and it's not just a matter of age. There are some old people that, that's a real tragedy. You're old and still can't discern nothing. Uh, you know, you could excuse a younger person, you know, well, you know, they, they still, they're still learning. So you kind of get that. Mistakes are going to be made. So you give them a pass. But I'm, you know, I'm 73 now. You know, I mean, I'm not 70, I'm 63. But, you know, here you got a guy 50-something, 40-something, and he's learned nothing. Come on, he's still making the same mistakes he was making when he was, what, 17? Wow, talk about arrested development. That guy hasn't grown. So solid foods for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
and you, you, and it's by constant practice, constant study, constant practice, learning from experience, learning from our experiences, etc., um, and and growing thereby. And then you learn to separate good from evil. You know, um, that's that's very important. Now, there's two podcasts I did. One called uh, with, I did it with Pastor Chad Mansbridge uh, from Australia called you can't handle the truth you want to might want to get his book and the other one i did was um a podcast on call sharp how to sharpen your sword those are the two podcasts and my intent was to weaponize the church in other words give you the weapons and tools to study the word of god now it won't do you any good if you're lazy then i do not listen to those podcasts if you're lazy but if you're willing to put in the work it will help you to do what was talked about here you'll come to maturity you'll have your powers exercised in discernment and maturity into the word of God. Um, you want to study the word of God. Stop waiting for, stop sitting around waiting for revelations from angels. The angels are not coming to your rooms to reveal nothing to you. You're not going to have a dream or a vision per se of, you know, uh, God giving you all these revelatory stuff every five minutes. That's not going to happen. Open the Bible and dig into it and go to work. That's what you need to do. And God will give you illumination from, of the text and give you insights. The Holy Spirit, that's what the show is called, the sword and the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit operates through the word. And the word is only effective when the Holy Spirit breathes on it. You need both. They're not in conflict. They're not locked in mortal combat against each other. It's not one or the other. It's both and. To be effective, you need both. Hear it. To be effective, you need the sword, the word of God, and you need the spirit. Together. Stop putting them in, at odds and conflict. Because there is none. Conflict is in, is in your head. Chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Wow, elementary doctrine of Christ. What is that? Well, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. When we repented, repented from not... Remember, I talked to the Hebrews. Their works were dead works. Any work that you do that's not based on re, your faith in Christ, that's not ba you haven't come to repentance and faith, is a dead work. That's why the Apostle Paul said, all those things that were gained to me. He says, touching the law, I was perfect. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But all those things that were gained to me, I count them as rubbish, as dung, as fecal matter, putting it in plain vernacular, that I may win Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that kept the law to the, to the, to the nth degree. The Pharisees were good at this. They tithed mint, anise, and cumin. They tithed everything. And yet Jesus called them whitewashed graves that look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all manner of corruption. That's what he's talking about, repenting from dead works. And he's telling the Hebrew people, you need to, you, yes, you had to repent from those dead works. No longer putting confidence in my work to save me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Works has never saved anyone, nor will it ever. It can't save, and it will never save. But that's foundational stuff. 
of faith toward God. So you repent, you turn away from dead works, you're no longer going to depend on the Jewish system, Levitical laws and all that kind of stuff for your salvation. Get rid of it. And you push your faith toward God. In the sixth chapter of John, when the Hebrew when people kiss his head to Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said that you believe on him whom he has sent. There's the work. Believe on him. He didn't give him any laws, any rules or regulations. He just said, believe on him whom he has sent. Wow. You can't, this is, he made it simple. Why are we going back to complicated stuff? I got to do this, like Ten Commandments. I got to have Shabbat. I got to do this. You're complicating something that Christ uncomplicated. He said, I want to make this easy for you because you're not doing the other stuff anyway. So let's do it. Let's make it this way. How about you just believe in me? I got you. I'll take it from here. But I want you to put your confidence in me first. And then air handled. God will handle it. I'll handle it from here. Nope. Pride. We're going back to the old system. I'm going to work my way into this thing. Yeah. And you'll get a front row in hell like that. Verse 2. And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those things are basic to the Christian life. He didn't say don't teach those things, but after we've learned those things, then it's, he said, let's go on. Here. Let's move on here. And this we will do. See that? He said, and this we will do if God permits. Now, here's what he said. Now, hear what I'm saying. Now, chapter, verse 4, chapter 6. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, the Jewish people. Let's take the people coming out of uh, Egypt. They had been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They saw the plagues and everything God sent on Egypt. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They watched the Holy Spirit protect them. Cloud of fire by day and a pillar of, uh, a, a cloud of fire at night and a pillar of the cloud by day. And have shared in the Holy Spirit. And they have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. God sent manna from heaven for these people. Notice what it didn't say. These people were not saved. They're just simply saying that they've tasted, they've had an encounter with God. But they're not saved yet. Now, instead of getting saved, they do the opposite. After God does all, shows his power and everything in front of them. Then they turn back and reject God. That's when, that's when it says here. So these are not people losing their salvation. These are people who had an, an encounter with God. They experienced God. They saw God do remarkable things. They felt the Holy Spirit, the tug of the Holy Spirit, just like some people today feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on their heart. That's why it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation. When God destroyed them in the wilderness because God was not pleased with them because they ate, they drank, and they rose up to play. They went after other gods. They turned their back quickly. They murmured, ah, oh, God, they complained, ah, we tired of eating eating manna. We want some meat. So God sent them quail from the sky. You know, so much of so much quail they got sick of eating it. Yeah. That's what this is talking about. These people were not saved. These people were just rebellious. They had not yet come to faith in, in Christ or in God. They were along for the ride. Churches are full of people with mixed multi of mixed multitude in the church. 
now what is this referring to now to, to further uh, buttress this point the 13th chapter of matthew go back and read it about the parable of the sower and the soils because the condition of the soil or the condition of the human heart determine the reaction of the individual to the word of god you had you had the fallow ground the hard ground you had the thorny ground and you had the rocky soil they didn't respond properly only the good soil did. So these same people all were there when go. They all saw what Moses did. They were all baptized in the Red Sea. And yet God destroyed a, 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 a vast majority of them out there in the wilderness. Why? Because they did not come to faith in Christ. They had fallen away. And it became at some point, there's a cutoff point. I don't know when the cutoff point is, and I don't tell people God has cut you off. I don't know. Let's just hope he hasn't. But if you're worried about it, that means he hasn't cut you off. Because people get cut off, and they reprobate, and they, they, they just don't care at this point. But there's a cutoff point. Cut off. We're done. That's it. Game over. Falling away. To restore them again to repentance, since what they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt, to the hold of Christ to contempt. Once that rejection is made over a period of time, that's it. The the soil stays in the condition that it is, the human heart stays there, and that's it. We're done. Verse seven For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. See, the ground has to be cultivated, and it receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So the good soil will produce crops and blessing, and bad soil, soil will produce thorns and thistles and becomes worthless, and it's cursed, and then God in the end will burn it. That's what that passage is talking about. It's not talking about saved people losing their salvation. I don't believe that it is. Verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Wow, what does that mean? This is not about working for your salvation, but he's simply saying that when a person gets saved, saving faith will produce, saving faith will produce, Saving faith will produce good works. Okay, so that's why he says, God is not, uh, verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, rooted in faith, repentance and faith in Christ, and love that you have shown for his name by serving him, by, by, ser by serving the saints, shown in his name by serving the saints. The symbol of leadership in the Bible is a towel. It's not a throne. We serve 
one another. We wash one another's feet. Christ put on a towel. And here's the thing about about I love about that. On the night in which he was betrayed, with 100% knowledge that Peter was going to deny him, that Thomas wasn't going to believe him, that Judas was going to betray him, and they all were going to forsake him, 100% knowledge of that, he washes their feet. And he knew exactly what they were going to do. But he served them anyway. He set the example. If you have a pastor that's not willing to serve you, but you got to serve him. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with honoring our pastors. I'm not saying that. But you shouldn't honor a pastor that hasn't earned it, by the way. Yeah, I said it. Let him earn it. Show me something. Having said that, and that doesn't mean be mean to the pastor and that kind of stuff, because then that you're wrong too. I'm just simply saying, watch his life and his and how his conduct and what he does. And you know, so if you want to have a pastoral anniversary or something like that, that's fine. That's not a problem. But only that only pastors that get that are the ones that serve the people that you see him wearing a towel, not physically, of course, but metaphorically. He's constantly serving the people. And we are to serve one another as that. I'm, I'm, I'm an elder in a church, but I, my name is Don. You don't have to call me elder or anything. And anything I can do to service God's people, if I'm able to do so, I do so. I don't volunteer for things I know I can't do. I, I can't just physically can't be there for whatever reason. But if I can, I will. And so should you. We should serve one another. Everybody serving everybody. Wow, there's a concept for you, instead of serving ourselves. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. And so there's earnestness. So there's love, there's work, there's serving, and there's earnestness. And we don't want to be sluggish in our, in our walk with God. We want to be disciplined. The disciple is the one who, who is disciplined. To have the full assurance of hope until the end. That's verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators. We have to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the kingdom. And you're going to see people that we're imitating when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith, hall of fame of faith for, this, for, the, uh, for the believers. But we're imitators of those who through faith and patience. Faith in Christ and patience. Jesus said, in your patience you possess your souls. These are virtues from the Christian life. And these two things is how you inherit the promises. How? Faith and patience. Patience simply meaning you don't get it right away. Stop this instantaneous Christian thing. We got to think we got to get everything quick, quick. Verse 13. Oh, let's go on to the next segment. All right, let's read on 613. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. See that? Faith and patience. And he obtained the promise. For people swear for some for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. All right, so God bounds bounds himself by an oath to Abraham to fulfill what he told Abraham he was going to do. And God had there was nobody graded for God to swear by, so he had to swear by himself. Now let's revisit this thing. Remember, I told you there's two ways, two ways to stop the wrath of God from coming upon the land. There were two ways. One was by atonement, which had to be administered by priests. Not anybody, not just anybody could do that. It had to be part of the Levitical priesthood. So, uh, you know, you think in a war, if nothing else, we got to protect the Levites. They get slaughtered, and we got nobody else here to make sacrifice. You remember when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel from the uh, from the Philistines, how that, when the Ark was going to fall off the cart, and the guy put his hands up to steady it, and God struck him dead. And then David got scared, like, whoa, what's this? And he went back, and finally David read the book of the law, which he should have done in the first place. Oh, snap. Only the Levites are supposed to touch the ark. That's why he got struck dead. Yeah, this is how serious this thing is. So you can't take on intercession or the op- in the office of a Levite and thinking that somehow you're going to stay the hand of God from, from you know, because we're not Levites, so... We're disqualified from that. We can't. We're not allowed to do that. So how how can I be an intercessor then? Then the other option is covenant. Now you see this in the in, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 33, 34, 32, 33, 34. You want to read the intercession of Moses. When he's interceding for God not to kill the people. Moses offers himself up as a sacrifice. He said, well, I'll tell you what, blot my name out of the book of life and keep these people alive. And God told him no. You know why God told him no? Because he wasn't qualified. There's another scripture that says, I think, uh, it says that even if Daniel had prayed, God would not have responded to these individuals. What are you saying? I'm saying that um, Daniel wasn't qualified either because he could not atone for these. The, the sins were so agree- too egregious. Daniel, even his confessing of sin and all that kind of stuff, it was not sufficient for God to forgive these people to stay in the hand of God. So that wasn't good enough. Well, then you go down to Isaiah. Isaiah said, I sought for a man to, to stand a gap and to make up a hedge uh, so that I won't bring a sword upon the land. And I found none. Fortunately, it doesn't stop there. Because right after that, God says, therefore... I my hand by my hand I stretched forth my hand I brought forth salvation. Isaiah forty five says, "Look unto me all the ends of the earth and be ye safe, for I am God, and there is none else. A just God and a Savior, and besides me there is none. There is no Savior." In the book of Revelations, they said, "Who is worthy to open the seven sealed book and to look thereon?" He said, first of all, you couldn't even look at it." You have to be worthy to even look at the book, let alone open it. There was none above the earth, none in on the earth, and no one under the earth that was found worthy. And John the apostle said, I began to weep. And the angel said, weep not. Get your head up. Dry the tears. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed. 
God has to swear by himself. God has to get up off his throne and do it himself, as good as Moses was. So then how did Moses convince God not to destroy the people? Because he couldn't make a sacrifice for them. And you know, he couldn't sacrifice himself for them. He wasn't qualified. So how did he do it? He appealed to the covenant. He went back to the Abrahamic covenant. And based on the Abrahamic covenant, God was, Abraham was able to use that as an intercession to keep God from destroying the people. Two ways. Either you got to go to the covenant to stay the wrath of God, or you can make your sacrifice yourself. But, oh, wait a minute. You're not good enough. And you're not a Levite, so you can't be sacrificing lambs and goats. That is not going to work because I'm not a Levite. So how do you stop the hand of God from coming to your loved ones? Covenant. Yes. So now at this point, we're going to do a study on the topic of covenants. Next podcast, we'll be doing the eight covenants. And I'll be going over there to explain to you why it is the way it is. But God had to swear by himself to bind himself by an oath so that he would save man and not have to come out here and kill us all. So he put the rainbow in the sky for, okay, no more flooding. Won't do that again. Now, this time it's going to be by fire, but there are other covenants that keep God from killing us. Okay, verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Oh, I love that. We have an anchor that's steadfast and sure. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind. Check this out. Behind the curtain. The hope enters behind the curtain. The curtain's been ripped from top to bottom. It's open. The hope has entered in now. Telostai, it is finished. Christ did not go to hell and have a smackdown with the devil. Stop telling people that to wrestle the keys away from the devil. That's not what happened. Telostai, it is finished. That means it went on the cross. It was finished. There was no need to go to hell and wrestle with anybody. And by the way, when Jesus said, I have the keys of death and of hell, he didn't say, I went to hell and got them. He's stating a fact. I have the keys of death and hell. In other words, he always had them. You ever thought about that? He always had them. He wasn't saying, I have the keys of death and hell. Like, now I just got them fresh out of hell. You know, now I'm in control. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He always had the death power. How do I know? Well, how was he? Ra- if he didn't have the keys of death and hell, how was he raising Lazarus and all these other d- dead people? How was he doing that? And this is pre-resurrection. And all the way back in the Old Testament, God was raising people from the dead. So if the devil had that, then how was God pulling this off? Yeah, see, he always had it. As far as I'm concerned, he always had it. I, I don't I subscribe to that interpretation. He had to go get some authority from the devil. Devil has no authority. Devil has to get permission from God. That's how it works. Y'all, we get, don't get it twisted. God don't have to get permission from the devil. Well, I'd like to raise you from the dead, but I can't because you have the keys. Can I have my keys back, please? No. Jesus said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. All power. Christ always had it. No time did he not have it. That's why he did all the miracles that he did to demonstrate he had he had power over nature. He had power over death. He had power over sickness and disease. He had creative power. I can make fish and loaves. I can I can take mud and clay. And whatever is missing from your eyes that you can't see, I can take that mud and clay and transform it on your eyes and turn it into whatever elements you need. And there you go. I replace whatever you don't have. 
by act of creation. How did God form man from the dust of the earth? So he's showing that I'm the God who formed man from the dust of the earth. Right, I'm going to take some clay, spit on it. Bap. There you go. Now you can see. Behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone, Jesus is behind the curtain, people. As a forerunner on our behalf, he's ahead of us, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We are a nation of priests, but we're not Levitical priesthood. Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. Yes, we can intercede, but we cannot atone. But we do, we do appeal for God to save people based on the new covenant. Based on the blood of Christ. Based on the work of Jesus Christ to atone for sin. And it's upon the basis of his work that we appeal to God to save people. Because I can't make sacrifice and I can't definitely can't die for anyone. When I die, it'll just be dead. It won't be for anyone in particular. You can't take my blood now and then say, oh, well, you know, this will help atone for it. No, it doesn't work like that. Nobody's blood can atone for sin except for the blood of Christ. Christ stands alone. Now, let's talk a little bit about intercession. And that's why I want to bring up the thing here of intercession. Use these last few minutes here about intercession. Anybody can pray, saints. Anybody can have a We should all have a prayer life. We should all have a prayer life. But I think we need to get away from declaring people intercessors in the sense that... It, but most pastors mean when they say intercessors, it means that these, these are the 10 people that I know are going to pray. And that's about as far as that goes. But beyond that, mm, no. Uh, that's about it. And please, if you go to somebody's church and say these are the intercessors, don't. I'm not saying you should go in there and start arguing with people. That ain't right. I, uh, don't don't waste your don't waste your breath. This is just for your for your knowing. And and for you to you know um, at least have a better understanding of what's going on, so that you don't run around declaring yourself an intercessor. But because the entire church is priests and the church, the entire church can pray and the entire church can intercede. But there's, there's only one, real, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one real intercessor, and that's Christ. He ever lives above for us to intercede because he made the atonement for our sins. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor because he can deal with the sin issue. Because he's God. I, on the other hand, am, can intercede. But my intercession is to the intercessor. Who can then take what I'm saying to God properly, both based on covenant and both based on the fact that he shed his blood. That's how we intercede. Simple, isn't it? But in our modern times, we have an over-preoccupation with titles, position, power. Kneel before Zod. Yeah, that type of thing. People... They're drunk with power and want to be elevated, respected, revered. You want respect? Respect is earned. 
if you really want respect, then respect has to be earned. And so you have to live a quality of life such that it commands respect. Even if people don't like you, they'll have to respect you. That's what I'm talking about. So stay strong. We'll get to chapter 7 and 8. Not next time, because I'm going to do the covenant. We're talking about the eight covenants in the Bible. I'm not saying that's all the covenants there are, but the ones in my study have only found eight thus far. But there may be more. Who knows? Um, again, you know, uh, I find you, you think when you think you've gone over the Bible and you got everything, okay, got it, got it, got it. All of a sudden you're reading one day and like, oh, wow, how did I miss this? That's just the way it works. And God gives more revelation or illumination. I'm trying to get away from that word revelation. Illumination. The, the scriptures light up to us and like, oh, that's what it's saying. So stay strong, saints, and keep the faith. And God bless you. And thanks for listening in. Thank you so much for listening to this Sword and Spirit. I'm deeply appreciative of those who take time out of your busy day to listen to this. God bless you. And again, like I said, thanks for listening. Please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, you can go to uh, YouTube. I, my 100th episode is on YouTube. But it's also been uploaded to Apple Podcasts and some others as well. But to see the video, you'll see it on YouTube. Church and Next Generation will be doing some more stuff with some young people having some more conversations uh, pertaining to the church. So please look forward to those. And yes, we will be back up on YouTube, just working out some of the glitches. And once we get those all ironed out, um, we'll be doing video as well as the regular uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, etc. Um, so I want to recommend a few here to you. Uh, I did a four-part series on a strong delusion. If you haven't listened to that yet, please check them out. And one of my favorite is um, Conversations with Dawn Hill. I plan, God willing, if she's able to, I'd like to have her come back on and discuss her book. I'm reading through her, her biography now. It's, it's awesome. And, uh, and some other things that she's been dealing with uh, from some of her other podcasts. So God bless. Thank you for listening, everyone. You can go down, you can go on uh, Spotify, and you can scroll down, or like I said, any of the other platforms that I'm on, you can scroll down and see some of the podcasts you may have missed. I believe they're all good and informative and will be a blessing to you. I have a lot of other interviews there as well, and so you may want to go and check those out uh, as well. God bless you. Stay strong, and keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm a man. I can guarantee you live with me five minutes, I will let you down. And if I live with you for five minutes, you'll let me down. We put no confidence in man. Put all your confidence in Christ and Christ alone. He alone can save. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him blessing. Follow him in Christ alone. Amen. So God bless you. And thanks for listening. Until next time.